Welcome to the unspoken truths of digital leadership, living the leadership values. Our guests will talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the values, the dark side and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity. Discover how they lead more effectively, how they make decisions, how they live their leadership values, and how they deal with the consequences that happen because of the decisions that they make. I am John Opoon, I will be your host of the show. Please note that there may be explicit language used during the interview. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Truths of Digital Leadership, Living the Leadership Values, where our guests will talk about the unspoken truths of leadership, the dark side, and the learnings from dealing with conflict with integrity. And today, I have a very special guest with me, entrepreneur, a host of the Start Down podcast, Mike Vicara. Hey, how's it going, man? I really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you, Mike, for coming onto the show. Appreciate it. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, it's great to be here. It's a lot of fun podcasts going on right now. <laughs> so, Mike, for those that don't know what you what you do, who you are, could we just dive straight into how you got to you know, becoming an entrepreneur, how you got to building a podcast, how you build your businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, it, it's an interesting story. Uh, like I think most people is, I think everybody has an interesting story. Uh, I started as a classroom teacher, didn't really know I ever wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, didn't even know I wanted to be a teacher. I actually, you know, was never a great student. Um, you know, always kind of struggled in school. And, you know, after graduating high school, I went to local community college and kind of loft around and then went up to a, you know, finished community college, went to a four-year school, but that really didn't work out. That was uh, up out of town from where I was. And I was kind of waiting tables one day and one of my old teachers came in and says, hey, you want to be a substitute teacher? And I was like, that sounds like a cushy job. I said, that sounds like an easy, easy money. Um, so I was, you know, took the job, started substitute teaching by day, waiting tables by night. I fell in love with education. I just fell in love with teaching, fell in love with being a teacher. Um, so went to school, finished, and, and ended up getting a uh, bachelor's degree in psychology with a minor in theology. And I ended up teaching religion uh, for the better part of 10 years in high school. And in teaching religion, this was in the early 2000s. I knew technology was kind of the best way to reach the students because uh, being young myself. So I had a podcast. I had a blog. I was doing you know YouTube videos. I mean, this is all early, you know, early Internet stuff. Um, but I, you know, it, it was groundbreaking, but I, I really was finding ways to incorporate it because I felt that's where my students were. And then I unknowingly went and worked for a startup. Um, you know, I got my master's degree because that's what you do in education to further along your career and went to work at a school that I thought was an online school, but it was actually a startup. And, you know, that was an interesting experience because coming out of the classroom was kind of supposed to be my first administrative job. And it ended up being my first administrative job, startup job, like all these you know, crazy things that I didn't expect to be thrown into. Um, and I was scared, man. I freaked out. I actually went in my car. I remember this. I went in my car, kind of broke down. I, 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 uh, I, you know, I don't want to say I had a panic attack because I don't think I did, but I was pretty panicked, crying, called my wife. And I even reached out to my old principal and said, hey, can I have my old job back? And she's like, I'm sorry, it's been filled. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to dig in and make the best of this situation. And I, uh, you know, I, I did. And we grew that company to about 38 states and we ended up getting investment uh, from a billionaire by the name of Wayne Heisinga, who's one of our local South Florida entrepreneurs, if you haven't heard of him on the global scale. But he's the guy that founded Blockbuster. He uh, owned a few sports teams here in South Florida. So uh, so that was neat. He put about $14 million in the business. But because I got in the startup early on, 
I was always promised a lot of things, equity, stock options, you know, my own private plane. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, I never got any of that stuff. I, I never got any of the things they promised me. I don't blame anyone for that. I think that's just the excitement of the startup, right? Everybody uh, says they're going to do things. And, and then when the money comes in, it kind of changes everything. So I, I ended up being an employee and I was still, you know, doing well, but not making as much as I could have uh, probably if I would have had equity in the company and that company actually eventually sold. So when that company, you know, kind of ended the the relationship there, it was like, okay, well, what do I do next? You know, do I go back to the classroom? Or, you know, I really learned a lot. I learned a lot from, you know, these guys investing money. And I learned from billionaire guys that, that grew a company from nothing to a billion dollars. I learned how sports teams were run a little bit. Like, I learned a lot of different things that I was like, okay, I think I could help businesses, you know, grow and scale. And that's really what I did. So I've been doing that now for the better part of 10 years. So my career is really split in half. 10 years teaching, 10 years in this uh, consulting entrepreneur space. And I've done it with several different companies. Um help them kind of, you know, go from that, you know, kind of uh, early uh, to middle startup stage, you know, to, to producing, you know, well over six and seven figures. So uh, that's a little bit about what I do now. And I really focus on three areas in that it's really sales, uh, really, actually, it's marketing, sales and implementation, because uh, I believe those are the three key components to make any business successful. And most businesses only do one of those well. And we, we try to focus and make sure they do all three of those well, so that they can grow and scale and run as a functional business. So that's a little bit of it in a nutshell. <laughs> wow. Like yeah. how, how did you get during the time of teaching and, and, you know, was it scary or was it a natural progression? Was you always being confident in teaching and showing up and standing in front of the classroom? No, I, I think teaching is a lot like entrepreneurship. It's, 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 you know, and I hate this phrase, but it's so true. You go into this with this, like fake it till you make it attitude. Right. Um, and I think with teaching, it was one of those things where, as a kid, you always see it as, man, the teachers come in, they're, they're, they're revered, right? Like a teacher was always very revered and they always had like, like a plan and they taught every day. Like that was the scariest thing for me going in as a teacher. It was like, how am I going to teach every day for 180 days of school? Like I was scared of that, man. That was, that was really nerve wracking, especially being younger. I think I was like, I was 22 when I first started teaching. So, um, you know, it, it was not knowing the things. And I think I overcompensated in a lot of ways. You know, um, you talk about conflict and, and, and things like that. You know, what do you, what do you do? And obviously kids, when they know you're a young teacher, they try to push. So you almost over authoritarian it, right? Like, like, you know, a lot of rules, a lot of structure. I think if I went back to do teaching now, I would do it a little bit differently. Um, and, and I think too, there wasn't a lot given to you, right? You think going into the classroom, you're going to have like all these books and lesson plans and guidelines and everything you need. It was just kind of like, oh, here's, here's a little set of textbooks. Here's, here's all the things you need to cover for the year and go, and you really have to create it on your own. So, you know, education is such a pure form of entrepreneurship. I think we even look at a lot of teachers today. Um, you know, my wife's a teacher as well and, and still, right. Like searching the internet for lesson plans and videos and things you can use in class. I think there's a lot of parallel between teaching and entrepreneurship. I think you like anything else, you learn the confidence as you go along. Um, and I think that's, that's what happened. But no, in the beginning I was, I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> 21 teaching is very young. Like that's the time when you normally go to university and still study. Right. And it's like, yeah, well, I started substitute teaching. So, so that was the thing, like I said, I was still kind of in college and I was substitute teaching. So going in, that was kind of early on. That was, which was good. Right. Cause substitute teaching before actually going in the, to really teach all the way was kind of a good, like, um, you know, it, it was a good sparring if you will. So, uh, I did that before I, before I teach. I was 22 when I really started. I think I was like, yeah, I was about 22, 20, almost 23 
when I finished my degree and, and actually started teaching full time that next school year. But yeah, I was I was young, which was fun because you felt like you really related to the kids. It was high school, so I was only a few years older than them. Um, but it, it it was it was a neat experience. And how did you manage with the stress and anxiety that came with it, or did you just go with the flow? <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Yes and no. I think there were, the, you know, like I said, that teacher that that came into the restaurant and asked me if I wanted to to be a teacher was a mentor, you know. And I think that was a big, and that's been a big theme for me throughout my life. Is I think having mentors, and even to this day, um, it really helped. That that helped deal with some of the stress um, that would go along with it. But at the end of the day, I mean, I'll be honest with you, like, and I and I even said this when I was teaching, and, and we could have this discussion for days, probably. I know globally, we know teachers, teachers do not get paid enough. I, I, I think there's no argument there. But I will say when I was teaching, I couldn't believe they paid me for this stuff. Like it was fun. Like the, like the, the fun of the job, I enjoy the job so much that the stress and anxiety of it was kind of like not as big of a deal. At, really after the first year, I think the first year was a little bit tough. But after the first year, um, you know, having the mentors, having the people around, and then once you're in a rhythm, I mean that, you know, it's, it's like anything else. Um, you know, I use a sports analogy, you know, here, uh, Patrick Mahomes, they, they were talking about him. It's his third year in the NFL. Um, and it's his, they're saying, well, that's where third, fourth year, that's where everybody hits their stride and they have their best season. It's like, or even TV shows, right? That third, fourth season is usually the best season of the TV show. So I think once you hit that stride, man, it was fun. I, I couldn't believe they were paying me to do it. It was a blast. I absolutely loved it. You touched on tour, like something people don't talk about enough. Yep. About having a mentor. What was it like for you to have that someone to, you know, be standing alongside you and and guide you along the way? I I think it's it's important and it's underrated, right? I think in in the well, it's important and it's dangerous all at the same time because I think there's there's a dark side to mentorship that I think we could talk about as well because I think um, you know obviously you need a mentor because you're weak, right? Let's be honest, but but it's going to help make you strong. I think the positive sides of it have, has always been that. Um, and it's funny because I, I had a, a complex about this for a while that I was kind of like always a good, I was always a good number two, right? Like I was always a great um, second person. So it was kind of natural for me to have a mentor. I never, you know, I think in today's society, it's so much like you got to be the leader. You got to, you got to take charge and all this. And, and it's funny because even, um, you know, one of my clients does does a lot of public speaking and things like that. And there's a lot of companies that are um, doing corporate retreats now and things like that. And they're looking to hire him as a speaker. And the biggest problem that they're mentioning in companies right now is that, hey, our our leadership is doing great with the people underneath them, right? So they're doing great at leading. What they're not doing well at is when we get the whole leadership team to, together, the, all the leaders don't know how to network and work together. And I know I'm digressing a little bit from your question, but the reason why I say that is, I always felt that a mentor was really important because I always felt because I wasn't a good student in school. I always felt I needed someone to follow. I needed somebody to help me. And I would say that at a point that was kind of a, it became a weakness for me at one point. But it really it was such a, a tool for me because I was able to kind of humble myself in a lot of ways and have that mentor and let him teach me and, and mold me and guide me. I don't think a lot of people could do that. Right. Um, I think a lot of people nowadays have that thing of like, I have to do it, you know, win at all costs. And, and I think this is the some of the curse of entrepreneurship and some of the things, um, you know, one of the reasons why I do my podcast is I like breaking some of these myths of it's not just about hustle, grind and and do all this stuff. And I think um, having a mentor is important because it it, it lets you slow down and lets them, you know, they've been where you are. Um, So, you know, while while you still may have to go that same path, I, I feel like 
having a mentor is, is the difference between walking and driving, right? You're going to get there that much quicker if you're in a car versus if you're walking. So I think it's just the the idea of letting them guide you. And I've been lucky in, in my educational career. I've had some, like I said, when I entered that startup, you know, the reason why I was able to kind of do as much as I did with it is I had a very good mentor take me under his wing. So I've been very lucky with that throughout my career to have really good mentors. And you talked about the dark side of mentorship. Can you talk about a bit more about what do you mean by that? You know, I, I think having a mentor is like any other relationship, right? It's like dating. It's like, it's almost like being in love. Yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds like a crazy yeah. analogy. Um, but because there's this, there's, if you have a mentor, the odds are there's a, there's a sense of awe, right? There's a sense of like, wow, like they're where I want to be, you know? And that's why I think now we call them coaches or we call them, you know, we call them, you know, gurus or you join masterminds, right? But that all that is just mentorship, right? So I think, but, but the thing of it is, I think nowadays, and I would say there's mentorship out there, but we've, we've monetized it so much, um, that people are preying on people that need mentorship, right? Mentorship was originally, or apprenticeship was something that was done out of, out of service, right? Almost out of, out of an idea of, of, you know, to your point, leadership, right? Like the idea of like, Hey, someone helped me get to where I am. Now it's my job to help somebody get to where they want to be. You know, it doesn't mean it shouldn't be monetized and I'm not, you know, I, I believe in the coaching, but you know, I've hired coaches to help me do things in different areas in life. But, um, I think that there comes a point in that relationship where it could become codependent, right? And and you have to realize that you're going to outgrow the mentors, or you're going to outgrow the the people that are in those those mentor mentee relationships, and that's okay, right? And then you have to move on to the next one, or there's some that may sustain forever. Like I said, it's like friendships, it's like dating. I think you have to look at that, and I think a lot of people don't know how to do that. I think there's a lot of people that are disguising their ability to be a mentor as a coach and charging for it, and I think that's not healthy because you know just because you can give someone advice doesn't mean it you know it should be monetized and and i think a lot of people are doing that and i think a lot of people are turning towards you know that you know the whole coaching and self-help it's just gotten out of hand so i think there's a lot of that as well but i think and it's it's about understanding healthy relationships at the end of the day and knowing knowing when to kind of move on and when to go to the next step you know yeah there's a fine balance between between that area for sure yep when you start your business what was your first business? That's a good one to go, to go into. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I've always kind of like started these little, you know, the, the consulting businesses. And, and the first one I really, I mean, the first one technically that was like my business that I had my name on was Classroom Today. And it was kind of an educational consulting company. Um, that was the first one. Like I went online, registered it. It was in my name, opened a bank account with it. Um and then, you know, the funny thing is what I've done, though, kind of because I did this business development consulting, I always ended up becoming a part of other companies, right? So I always like, like right now, like I'm president of Brand Ethos, I'm vice president of Top Score Writing, like I take uh, sort of these executive positions on within these companies. So I always use the company, or I want to say use the companies, but the companies always, I eventually become a part of one of the organizations. So uh, Classrooms Today was the first one I started that was very educational based. And that was actually a company I started. And then my mentor, one of my mentors from that startup I talked about that I worked on, we partnered together. We grew that, did very well with that. And then he was kind of, he was older than me. So he was moving to another phases in, in his career, you know, kind of more towards retirement age and things like that. So he wanted to do things that were a little bit different. So we parted ways. And then I started the Mags Group, which in, in doing Classroom Today, I ended up consulting for not just education companies. I mean, I did 
a project with in Israel for an oil and gas company. We did a lot of corporate training. We we did a lot of business development consulting now for all different types of businesses. I mean, I've worked in you know telecom, e-commerce, uh, education. Like I said, I, there's just been a, a variety of different businesses I've had the the you know pleasure of consulting for, which is fun because it's almost like I don't have, you know everyone's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I haven't had to decide, right? Like I, it's almost like every client is like. I take on it's like getting a new job which is fun which is one of the things i loved about teaching like every school year was like starting a new job and then um when me and my other partner uh and this is going on about four years ago now um i started the mags group was actually named after my kids michael anthony giovanni and stella and uh that is you know kind of my consulting group now but once again like i said i i started that and then took on clients and then i started taking these you know, executive positions on their on their team because it helps them grow, right? Because a lot of times the solo entrepreneur hasn't grown a team yet. They've been doing well, but they want to expand and, and growing and expanding means you got to build a team and you got to show depth and different things like that. So, you know, I would say, and, and then starting each one of them out, I think there's always been, I wouldn't say there's been, you know, I, I think that's the, the the neat thing about starting a business, right? There is no fear. There's excitement, right? Because you're stupid. You're like, you're like oh, this is going to be fun. Like, like this is going to be great. I think the fear comes when you hit the first roadblock or you hit the first thing. And, and even like my podcast, that's why I call it the start down. Because, you know, a startup's easy, right? Startups are easy. They're ideas. You go register a business. You can open a bank account. It's exciting. The, the start down is where the work happens, right? Like it's after, it's after that. It's when you hit the first roadblock or you hit the first time you trip or the first speed bump, whatever it may be, um, and learning how to grow and learning how to do those different things. That's where the real work happens. So, um, you know, I, I would say there, there wasn't so much fear as much as it. And, and like I said, a lot of times I was doing it at a necessity or a transition. So there was a little bit of excitement. I like new. I like, I like the new beginnings and the new start, you know? Is it what they call them? Germination phase? Yes. Of yes, the ideas exactly. and then starting something and then but once you get going yeah it's the it's, the, it's the, the, the tough side to keep being consistent and keep going yeah. through with it yeah and 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 i think too anytime you start something new you don't have you know i mean it's like hey like you know well, you know mcdonald's right yeah they're a great company but you know you, I, you tell 100 things that are right with them and 100 things that are wrong when you're new no one knows anything everything sounds great oh that sounds like a great idea you know you haven't screwed anything up you haven't pissed anybody off you know it's like yeah <laughs> You know, being new is great, man. That's that's the best phase of business to be in sometimes. Yeah, that's something that I mentioned as well in one of the, the interviews I had recently. It was like the scary part that no one talks about is when you start a business, all the excitement and all that is good. But then you don't. And if you don't have to sell, you have no clients. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so you need to learn how to do sales. You have to do marketing. You have to do positioning. You have to do yeah. the accounting. And you, know, you learn all this stuff that you never done before. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think the, the scarier thing for a lot on it, cause I think a lot of people could take that on the scarier thing is starting to let go of those things. You know, a lot of the businesses I work with, um, in that, you know, I call it kind of the teenage stage of business when it's time to grow up and, and they have to let go. Of, they were used to doing all the sales calls or doing all the marketing and doing all this. And then you got to outsource it to somebody and do all this. And I think there's, you know, it almost becomes like a child, right. And you do have this sense of ownership of it. But I think when you start letting go of those things, it's hard for two reasons. Number one, you were used to doing it. And I think number two is that you aren't going to get it to be perfect in the way that you imagine it, you know? And I think that's hard for a lot of, you know, new entrepreneurs to understand is that like, 
and it sounds strange, right? Like some people are like, well, I want perfection. I desire perfection. I said, well, there's a lot of failure in perfection. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, go, go drive on, on a road and, and talk to me about perfection, right? Does the road work? Does it get people to and from? Yes. But are there potholes and different things in there? It's not perfect, but it works. Right. And, and, and it's, it's not always the perfect product that wins or the perfect process. So I think that's something a lot of entrepreneurs fail with in the growth stage is the desire for perfection. You know, and that's tough. That's tough. <laughs> I'm laughing because I can relate to this so much with being yeah. perfection, like trying to get all the yeah, autoresponders in place, the the sales funnel in place, making sure the payment gets improved, make sure they get tagged, go into CRM system, and then yeah. all of this. But you know, at the end of the day, all you need to do is just send them a payment link. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I see so much of this online. You know, people are like automate your business, automate this, automate that. It's like okay, but like, do you have a plan though? Like, like automation's great. They're like, oh, well you do this and then leads just magically come in. And it's like, listen, it, it, there, there's still a certain amount of, of human interaction that's needed and a certain amount of understanding. And I think a lot of people just want this, like set it and forget it. And like, you know, one of my other the entrepreneurial phrases I hate the most is passive income, right? Oh, you're going to make passive income. It's like, you know, um, there, there's no such thing as passive. There, there's ways to create things to generate revenue, but but they're still going to require work, right? There's no just like, there's no off button. Even with the subscription-based thing, you know, or subscription-based services, it's like, it's not set it and forget it, right? Like, it's the reason why Netflix spends billions of dollars creating new shows. Like, they could just be like, well, people are going to just pay for us monthly. And they're going to go, no, you have to continue to innovate um, or you're going to get passed over. So I think that, you know, there, there's no, you, you can't do this without the work. You have to put in the work. It's just not, you know, there, there's no such thing. All the tools that are there are just that. They're just tools to leverage you to do what you need to do, but they still take work, you know? I want to find out more about like how you deal with your stress and tension and emotions that come with challenges, how you overcome those. I mean, cigars and scotch, really. <laughs> <laughs> and, and lots of coffee. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, there's different types of stress, right? There's, you know, there's some situations where stress makes you strive. I think I felt that, you know, like, like the, we had an issue with a client the other day where like something happened where it, it almost completely, you know, we're coming up against Black Friday here in the States and, you know, the, the big sales season with Thanksgiving and everything. And, and, you know, something happened yesterday that really just basically threw a wrench in the whole thing. Um, that was stressful, but I was like, okay, like, here's how we're going to solve it. Right. Like that, that sort of panic is sometimes easier. Um, you know, I think there's there's stress like that. That's like problems that you just know you have to solve. That's that's I could deal with that. The stress sometimes that, that gets me is like where I have a situation where like clients just don't see the value sometimes. Mm. Um, not because they're selfish or ignorant or anything like that. I'm not trying to say that. It's just they just don't see, hey, we're doing this stuff and it's working towards a bigger thing. They want to see results immediately. Yeah. That stress gives me angst and 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 agita is is kind of a you know, only because I, I feel like it's like, there's no way you just have to like hope they give you the gift of time. So you can be able to see that. And that stress, you know, it's hard to deal with that sometimes. And sometimes it's about walking away. I mean, listen, I've, I've worked, you know, for the longest time I worked, you know, nine, you know, 7am in the morning, really till, till, you know, five, six o'clock at night, came home, had dinner with the family and then worked nine to one, two in the morning. Um, and I think I was so stressful that like, I've stopped that. 
you know like one of the things I, i've done is i've started and and I watch TV. <laughs> no I way. watch television shows. Like you, you, you I, do normal life. <laughs> yeah, like I, I sit on my couch at night now, and and it's like it sounds crazy, and and I think it's so funny because like you get so in this entrepreneurial culture of like, hey, you can't, you know, well, stop watching Netflix and watch something that's going to teach you something, and blah 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 blah, and turn your car into a library, and da da da. It's like that. That's all great. And I listen, I'm not knocking. I don't disagree with that. But at the same time, you have to understand that we're all human beings, right? And I, and I will say I've made really and COVID was a big part of this, right? Because it was like, like, it was like, you take the kids to school, you drop them off, they're in school by 730. My office is literally right across the street from my kid's school. I was in my office by 730 every morning, I could work till four or five o'clock, come home. It, there was like breaks in the system, right? And like, you had lunch meetings some days, and you went here and you visited clients and you did this and you did that. Now it's like I'm here, like I'm like the, I built this office. Like I never had an office in my house because I just worked in my garage. Like I had a desk in my garage because I would do work at night. Like I just I didn't mind it. So now I had to build this fancy office in my in my garage because um, I got so many kids. They take all the rooms up in my house. I can't have an office. But um, <laughs> I, I, I being here every day, I started to see like, whoa, wait a second, this is wearing on me a little bit. And I didn't realize the actual breaks I had from like traveling and going to lunch meetings and because like when i would travel on a plane like sometimes when i travel on a plane i wouldn't work i would just watch a movie because i'm like well i'm on this flight i'm going to disconnect for a little bit there's no phones no nothing and then i'll you know i, I you know I, there's not much i could do without having you know even if you had internet like it was always choppy and things like that so um you don't realize how much those breaks matter so like now like i literally i stop working pretty much at like six o'clock every night um and then i don't do any i mean like like last night, it's funny. Last night I did because I had something I had to do. Um, but for the most part, 90% of the time now, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm, you know, having dinner with the family, putting the kids to bed, you know, nine to 10 o'clock, I'll watch a TV show or two. And then I'm in bed by 10 o'clock now where I used to stay up till one, two in the morning work. But what I, what I started to realize too, was that my work during the day was way more efficient than my work at night. So I think, you know, the stress of it and, and even still, and even like if something came in at night, I'd be like, well, I got to figure out a way to solve this and do that. Like, listen, it'll solve itself in the morning. Like, I can't overwork a plan for something that doesn't work, you know? So I think that disconnecting and doing those things and, and, and really, but then I have to be true in those hours now from, you know, 7.30 till 6 o'clock of, like, what I'm going to do, you know? Um, so it's still 12 hours a day. It's still more than, like, working in traditional eight hours. But I love what I do. But on the same hand, that extra stuff I could be, and you know, could I be doing more at night to expand my business and grow different things and grow my personal brand? Sure. Could I be putting in another four hours? Sure. It, at what, at what cost though? You know? And, and for me, you know, I just, it's, it, it that's how I deal with it. And I'm not saying, and if you are grinding it out and doing that and, and yes, that's going to push that next person past me, right? Like, so where I'm a consultant now making X amount of dollars a year and someone wants to be, better than me and make XX dollars a year, the four hours they put in a night while I'm sitting on my couch and watch TV. Yep. They're going to fly past me. But at this point I've learned to not stress out about that. <laughs> right. Like, and if a client is going to, you know, if I'm going to lose a client because of that, I have to be okay losing that client. And the idea is to have so many clients, you're not worried about that. So I think it's just, I've learned to that, that you have to just decompress. You have to disconnect. It's just, it, it is what it is. And you have to not feel guilty about that. You know? I'm liking the the balance and finding that routine that you get for decompressing as well, because yeah. I think a lot of people found, especially during this period or this challenge, is what matters. Yeah, what really matters. Like 
you got a fancy car, but you can't drive it because we're in lockdown. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, and, and like, I haven't put fuel in it for you know, a month or two because we're in lockdown. We just know where to drive it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, it, it's li- I literally read it. I literally, and it's funny too because I made I made my own day planner because I got tired of the planning sheets and, and everything everyone else had. And and on there, it's, it's there's three things, right? I set three goals for the day. I put three things that I could do tomorrow because we all know we procrastinate. So I'm like, I'm just going to put that out there, right? Right from planning my day, right? Here's the three things I could do tomorrow. And then I put on there, what are the three things I'm going to do to unwind? And it's literally, you know, three, you know, those, those components and those boxes, I'm no longer lying to myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm no longer saying that I don't do this. And to your point, you know, the, the, the things that, you know, and I, the story of like, I've, I bought my dream car. You know, I bought it twice now, actually. Um, and I, the, the, well, it's funny because I bought it and then I, I was like, okay, I'm going to downsize. And then I downsized to, to a different car because I was like, all right, I got it. Like, let me get something different. And I, when I bought it, I hated having, I, I, I hated having it in a way because I could no longer go and look at it online. Like, and it wasn't anything crazy. Cadillac Escalade, you know, I bought it. I loved it. And then, um, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to get, you know, get a car. Then I wanted to get a car. I was like, well, I always wanted a BMW. I bought a BMW. I hated the BMW. So then I went and bought another, yeah, I sold that and bought another Escalade. Um, but the, the, the point of it was I had nothing else to look at after that, right? Like the Lamborghini didn't excite me. The, so it really to that. And I think, and, and it's getting older, right? Like I'm in my forties now, like you learn like that monetary stuff doesn't mean as much, you know, I think it's like, like, like would have been cooler to have it in my twenties. Yes. Could I afford it? No, that's always like the thing, right? Like we should, we should age backwards in some way. Um, but, but I think it's just, you know, like you said, even in the pandemic, like, so you got a nice car sitting in your driveway, like, where are you going to go? Like, and, and then that's the thing, like you should be happy with it sitting in your driveway because it shouldn't be for anyone else, but you, you know what I mean? If it's like, if you want that, that Ferrari or Lamborghini to be able to drive it down, to the strip and have people look at you and be like, Oh, look at that guy in the fire Lamborghini. It, it's not going to bring you the satisfaction you think it is. Right. Because everyone's going to look at you and be like, Oh, he's renting it or he's leasing it or he doesn't own it. <laughs> you know, like they're probably going to think more negative than be impressed. You know, no one's like, Oh, look at that guy in the Lamborghini. He's successful. That, that those two things don't go together. You know, the pure judgment of, of it. Oh of yeah. One as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the acceptance is, is for what? So then, then the people that are going to like you because you have a Lamborghini, you learn they're not the type of people you want to be around anyway, you know? So. So that's, that's finding what really matters, you know, relationships, yep. memories, people you get to connect with. Oh, yeah. You know, time like this, you know, I get to connect with you across the world, and which yeah. is amazing, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, obviously the whole podcasting thing, I mean, there's been – you know, and look at, I mean, you, you know, everyone talks about how great Zoom did during the pandemic. You know, another company that's blown up that nobody's talking about? Cameo. You heard of Cameo? I heard of Cameo, yes. It, it's a website where celebrities will record videos for you. Well, all these celebrities can no longer do appearances and tours. And I mean, you have more celebrities on there now. Like, I even had someone the other day I was talking to, and they didn't have a very big advertising budget. And I was like, listen, and they're they're kind of in that entertainment space. I said, listen you'd be smarter to spend that money on cameo once a month on doing a a podcast interview with a celebrity than you would on Google ads. I said, because it's going to give you that credibility in your, in your space that, that you need. And there's tons of celebrities on there. Now they're all sitting around, they'll do a 15 minute interview uh, for $500. And and then you could say, Hey, yeah, you know, we talked to X, Y, Z celebrity about acting, you know, and they're, they're in that space, right? It's like, so I, I think, 
we've seen the the world kind of change and expand in, in the different you know types of ways in which who who we can connect with, who we could get access to. Um, and like you said, with podcasting, like it's been so much easier to get people to do podcast interviews now because they're just sitting around and like, yeah, okay, I'm not, I'm not speaking. I'm not, I'm not going here. I'm not on stage. So I think it's, and, and like you said, you know, the opportunity for you and I to connect, it's just been podcasting for me has become my new form of networking. It really, really has, which has been awesome. I loved it. I've absolutely loved it. How did you get into podcasting? That's a good, interesting one. Yeah, I mean, well, like I mentioned, I, I had a podcast when I was teaching. <laughs> so my students used to actually have to go and get their exam review on my podcast. That was the original uh, way I did it. It wasn't called the start down. It was just, uh, I think it was like Mr. Vicaro's podcast or something well, like that. Podcasts even a thing back then, though? So this was, was in, this was in 2007 to about, yeah, it was very early on. That's, so it was just, that's really, really early. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very early. Um, like there was no anchor, there was none of that. So I even forget how I did. There was a program that did it. Um, I can't even remember the name of it at, at, at this point, but it was, it was very old, and you could probably find them out there. Um, you know, and I did my exam reviews and what was going to go on in the class and the different things that were were happening in the week. So, um, yeah, it was kind of in the in the early onsets of podcasting, two thousand seven to about two thousand and ten, around that time. Um, which is also like when the iPad was coming out and all these different things. So I really, you know, that was the original way I started it. And then the start down, I started up about, you know, I really wanted to do a podcast and get back into it about two and a half years ago. Um, and it's funny the way I got back into it. This is, this is a great story. I didn't have time to really do a podcast. So, um, somehow on Facebook, got a message from this girl. She's like, Hey, will you be on my podcast? I said, yeah, absolutely. And you know, went through and she's like, Oh my gosh, I'm learning so much about this. Da da da. Um, at the time she was working at like a Whole Foods, I think, or something like that. And she's like, well, and we were talking and then we were off air after the podcast. And you know, she's like, that was so much. She goes, I've always wanted to start my own business. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And she's like, well, I'd love to start a podcast. And I'm like, well, why don't you? And she's like, well, I don't know where to start. I'm like, all right, well, I want to, I want to do a podcast. I don't have time to put it together. I'm like, so I'll hire you <laughs> in my podcast. And, you know, she did, she started a nice little podcasting business. And, and this is a great story. She started a nice little podcasting business and did that. Um, and, and she really found out it wasn't what she wanted. You know, she found out from doing it that it's just, you know, she's like, I love podcasting. I didn't love podcasting as a business, which was great. And then she went on to something else that she loved. And uh, now she's doing that. We still keep in touch. So um, I, I, I did it for that reason. I was just on someone else's podcast. And then, and then I started it, and then, you know, I outsourced it and then I took it over and then I was doing a bunch of it. Um, now I have a team, you know, now we're over 115 episodes um, and I have a team, Ryan and uh, Mark and Brandon on the back end. They do, they do all the the managing of the podcast. So, um, but I, 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 to be honest with you, and I was having this conversation with someone last night, I don't even know what I'm doing with it right now. I, I'm kind of, I'm still learning it. I'm still, and, and this is another one of my like things that drives me crazy about it. This is what I mean by like the mentorship thing, right? So like I'm 115 episodes in, and I really believe in podcasting. I've encouraged a lot of my clients to do that. I have a team on, that I have in-house that, Part of what they do is managing my podcast and other clients' podcasts. But I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know enough about it to say I'm an expert or, or I could teach you how to do it or I could mentor you on it, right? I can show you how to get started, but I can't tell you like what helps you get ranked on on iTunes or I can't tell you what uh, gets you more listens. You know, there's this girl yesterday I saw. She just put her podcast out and she's like, hey, guys, I'm super excited. You know, my podcast is out. You know, looks like a very sweet, sweet young lady. Uh, and then she's like, and, you know, because I did that, I created a course so you guys could learn how to start your podcast, too. And I'm like, <laughs> this is the problem with the Internet. Like, you literally just launched your podcast yesterday and you have a course to show me how to do it. I'm like, come on. Like, like that's like, you know, um, 
you know, no, I, I'm sorry, you go to the hospital, no one wants the med student operating on them, right? Like you want, you want the veteran doctor. So I think this is the danger of mentorship and the internet and everything else. We have it. And listen, I, had, I, I applaud her for her hustle. I think she's a hustler, but on the same hand, I think it's very dangerous. You know, once again, as entrepreneurs, there's guys out there that have been doing this for a long time. Um, you know, like Zachary Babcock is one you know person that comes to mind. He, he's been doing it for a while. He's grown a six figure business out of it. He's studied the craft of it. He studied the science of it. He knows what works and he has a course, but like his course, I would invest in because he's really studied, learn it, and he has to prove. So I think that that's an important thing as entrepreneurs as you're going out here is looking for people that have the proof that you could really invest in. People like um, John Lee Dumas is um, kind of one, isn't he? Yep. No, those yeah. guys, those guys are really on it and know what what to do and how to do things and actually live and breathe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 like I said, it's just it's a scary thing because and there's even a lot of done for you courses that people are white labeling and reselling. They haven't done anything yet; they're just doing that, which makes them great salespeople. Which listen, good for them. I'm not knocking that as a business. I just think it's an entrepreneur now. You know, I always say this with my kids: the difference from when I was a kid to when they're a kid is when I was a kid, you had to learn stuff. You had to you had to figure things out, you had to find the knowledge, and then you had to learn it, right? I think nowadays, you have to do less learning and more filtering of what's good knowledge and what's bad knowledge, right? Because we have all the information we need at our fingertips. We have all the knowledge we need. I tell my kids, I'm less worried about you learning the techniques and learning how to decipher that's good information or bad information, because that's the way they're going to learn faster. Yeah, I had this conversation yesterday as well. Like, information is everywhere, and we used to pay for information. But now information oh, yeah. is so freely available, we don't do anything with the information that we consume. Yeah. Like we could download all these ebooks, all these strategies, but do we apply them? Like how often do we actually take action on the things we learn? Well, yeah. Yeah. And and that, you know, I say that too. Like people are sometimes in the entrepreneurial fraternity where they're just, they're going to the party, but they're not learning anything. You know, they're in college, but they're not learning. They're just in the frat house. They're partying, they're partying, they're partying. And some people are so good at being like a part of the entrepreneurial club or fraternity or whatever you want to call it. And then they're not going outside of that, you know, and, and I was saying this, you know, the other day too, I was having a conversation with somebody. They're like, well, you haven't been as active on social media. I'm like, yeah, because I'm fucking working and making money. Like, sorry, I don't know if I get cursed on this, but like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, it's just, I'd love to be more active. I'd love to do that. But it's like, I'm also the busier I am, the harder it becomes to, to put the effort into the personal brand and doing those things. Not that, and, and like I said, I'm a teacher by heart. So I do it because I like to teach, not, not as like a, I think it's very, I don't want to say it's very dangerous. There's, I've hired coaches where all they do is coach, right? I think there's people that are very good at that. And and I still to this day hire coaches. Um, but I think there's a danger of people that are just teaching for a living that don't have the experience. And I think they're, you have to be very cautious of that group when you go to work with them because, and then they're, you know, the only successful business they've ever grown is the one that they're teaching other people how to grow a successful business. It's, it's a little weird. You know, I think it's like you want, you want to hire people and you want to hire mentors and coaches that have had a track record. Um, and I think that's so, that's so, so important. Um, and, and you know, the, the information is dangerous because, and there's a lot of people that are good at studying and that's okay too. There's a lot of people that are good at studying leadership and business and the phases of it and can teach it to you. Um, you know, if you can cliff note it that way, that's great, but, but be very careful of what, at what level you stop that investment. You know, I think is, is very important for a lot of entrepreneurs to remember. Yeah, again, it's the, the fine line and finding that credibility in who yeah. you hire, who you work with, what's their values, what's their beliefs, does it align with you, is going to get you further than where you are now and knowing what how long that relationship will last for, right? Yeah, and the be listen, the best coach I ever had, 
um, was was a coach that actually said, we're done. Like, I wanted to keep having her work with me. And she's like, no, listen. She goes, Mike, you're good. Like, you're good. You're done. You've gotten – we achieved your goals. There's no reason for you to keep paying me. And I was paying her a lot. She's like, there's no reason for you to keep paying me each month. Um, she's like, we've gotten to where we need to go. And I'm like, that's amazing that – like, I've never had a coach do that. Like, and she's she's someone I, I really, really look up to. Um, her name's Natalia Diane. She's an excellent business coach. Um, and she just – and I was like, okay, great. And then, like, we still have a great friendship. We talk regularly. Um, you know, she's involved in several great, uh, businesses that she's, she's growing and putting together. Um, so it, it's really, I think it's important to find people that have that type of integrity, you know, because it's about the work, not about the money. You do the work, the money will follow, you know, and it sounds cliche, but it really actually is true. And some of the most successful entrepreneurs I've worked with are not really, they're like, Oh, I, I didn't mean to get an entrepreneurship or it was a mistake or it was something I was just doing because I loved it or it was a side hustle. Um, they don't go after this chasing dollars thing, you know, and I, and you could tell who's chasing the money. And you could tell, like, like you know, the people that, that put this, well, well, charge what you're worth. You know, you're, like, you're, you're charging too little. You know, don't be afraid to charge more for what you do. Okay. And listen, I've been in this boat, too, where people charge way too much, and then they don't deliver. You could charge a lot, but you better deliver. Like, you raised, like I had someone yesterday say, you know, we, were, you know the, we actually negotiated the deal, and then they came back to me, and they said, hey, I think I need to charge a little bit more. And, and I'm, you know, because, like, I, I don't think I charge enough. I said, okay, I'll pay you more. But understand, now you've raised the bar. <laughs> I said, now, like where I was like, the expectation becomes that much higher because you're asking for more money, which means there's value. Okay, then that means I'm, I'm I was good giving you like this much error. Now I'm going to give you this much because you asked for more money. So you can always charge more, but you need to be able to deliver more. You know, it's like if I, if I go to a nice steakhouse where they charge $150 for the steak, steak better be good. You can't give me the same steak. I would get it like a, a, a restaurant that charges $9 for the steak. It's got to be a good steak, right? Like, so I think people don't understand that, that yes, you should charge more if the value is there and you could deliver. You don't have to charge more for the sake of charging more. That that drives me crazy when people get that advice. Yeah. And I'm glad you touched on the integrity because that's so hard to come by nowadays, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. There's, there's people yeah. that don't follow through with their words. They don't deliver on what like what they say they will deliver. And it's such a, a fine balance of finding people's values and you know, the real intention. Yeah. And it's a fine line too, right? Because it's like, there's, there's clients I've taken on where we haven't been able to make them successful, you know? Um, and, and I, you know, I think at times it's been our fault at times it's been their fault. You know, I mean, it's like I have one client and like, it's like, okay, we need to generate leads. We're generating leads for them and they weren't following up with the leads. Like I, I can't do anything about that. Right. Or you know, we can run a great marketing campaign, but if your product sucks and no one wants it, we can't do anything about that. Right. So there's going to be, and I, and I think especially in, in internet marketing and things like that, there's going to be failure. I think a lot of people have taken that failure as an out and, and don't and don't own it. You know, like I even had, and I had one of my clients, same situation. Like I told him, I said, he actually had a big ad spending. I think he invested like, you know, a couple, almost $30,000, $40,000 on LinkedIn, you know? Um, oh. And we were managing that ad spend for him, but he wasn't getting the leads. LinkedIn wasn't offering the services they said they were going to offer. And I have no problem blasting LinkedIn on this. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I told him, I said, listen, I'm not going to keep taking your money. I said, LinkedIn may, but I'm not going to keep taking your money because we're not delivering results, you know? And I, and I truly believe in that. Could I have been, he would have kept paying me until I figured it out. But I said, listen, I don't think we're going to figure this out. I said, I'll just be honest with you. Um, you know, try to point him in the direction of maybe some other people that could help. I tried to find some people, but um, at the end of the day, yes, that integrity is important. That, that knowing when to walk away and saying, hey, 
I'm not delivering value for you. And sure enough, as soon as I did that, another client came in, you know, um, so call it the universe, call it karma, call it whatever you want. But like, I think if you do the right things in business, the right things will follow you afterwards. You can't, you know, and, and that's hard, right? Cause I, and I think that's hard for entrepreneurs. You talk about that fear. Like when you come into it, if, if that client is dependent on you feeding your family or things like that, sometimes you do have to do whatever it takes to work. And I think there's a thin line between hustle and working hard and ethically giving up. <laughs> and yeah. that line is about paper, paper thin, right? Like it's so hard to find. Um, when do you ethically give up? And I think in the, in the entrepreneur culture, the idea of hustle and drive and, and listen, there's no right answer for that. I've asked, uh, and that's, that's something like anyone says, like, can you do a Q and A? When do you know when to quit? How do you, how do you, <laughs> how do you know, how do you know what to fit? Like, those are the things people aren't at. Oh, you just keep going, you keep running. Yeah. But like, listen, eventually, like, like, like if I've hit the wall, I should take my foot off the gas, right? Like, no, 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 keep going. Like, you never know the wall may fall and like, gold will be on the other side. It's like, no, I should get out of the car. Like, I fucked up. Like, it's time to move on. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a thin, thin line and there's no right answer. You just, and that's why gut intuition and the team is so important. You got to surround yourself with people, mentors, people you trust. It'll tell you when, when it's time, you know? I'm glad you touched upon the the gut and intuition because knowing what's true to you and not knowing what's true for you as well uh -huh. in that time and moment, like no one knows, but you, like you have the answer and you know it. Yeah. It's whether you're going to follow through with that, that answer or that guidance that you've got in you is whether you're going to follow through with it or you're going to just stick it out. And if it goes horribly wrong, you have to take it on the chin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and being okay with that. Right. And I think that that's always, being a bad student, that's always been harder with me, right? Because failure was always something that was kind of embarrassing because you, you watch other people around you succeed and then you feel bad about it and you go home and you have to tell your parents you didn't do well and they're disappointed, and, you know. Um, and I think as a child, you're always raising that, you know, academic success. And you talked about this a little bit when you were on my show, right? That idea of like the academic success or, or all that is what, what makes you, right? Like if you're not a doctor or a lawyer, or, you know, um, but we know that's not true now, which is good. You know, I think it's good that we have that that sort of parallel now to, to sort of decipher that. And for those that are looking to start their own business or start up or even knowing when to um, wind down and start down. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of advice would you be able to give them? You know, I think it's it's a thin line. Find something you're, you're, you're passionate about, but not too passionate about because um, <laughs> that could also you know mess you up. Like I talked about the podcast or I think. Find something you're passionate about. Know know that the money is is going to come, and, and that you're willing to do the work, whether you're making a little bit or a lot. Like your effort shouldn't change by the amount of money you're making or or the attention you're getting or things like that. If you could do it behind closed doors, if you do it without anybody knowing, if you do it in in in, in secret, almost is is what I say. Um, you know, you'll know that you're doing that. And I think know right away what your strengths and weaknesses are and outsource your weaknesses. You know, don't don't try to do everything. Don't try to learn everything. Figure out what you can learn, but if you can, great. You know, but but if it's out there and it's readily available, like don't learn accounting, hire an accountant. It's that's a be the best thing you can do for your business is hire an accountant. Don't try to it's so complicated. Accountants don't even understand it. You think you're going to understand it? Like hire an accountant. You know, find the things that, that you're not able to don't design your own website. Like that drives me crazy too. Don't design your own website. Hire, you know, spend the thousand to fifteen hundred dollars and have somebody design you a kick ass website that's gonna last you a while. You know, don't use the the Wix or the GoDaddy out of the pocket one and, and listen, I've done it, so uh, you know, it's fine, I've made the mistake. Design a really good website. because um, as crazy as that sounds, that's important right now. It's still a business card. 
Um, and I think, you know, really outsource your weaknesses. So I would say accountant website and outsource your weaknesses. Fantastic. And if they want to find out more about you, where can they go? To, so to find out more about me, MikeFakara.com is the best uh, way to go. That's got information about me, links to all my social media. I'm at Mike Ficarra on most social media platforms. The Starkdown.com is the podcast. Uh, Your Brand Ethos is, is one of the big projects I work on right now. You can check me out there, too. Some of the things I'm doing there and top score writing. Um, so those are the, the kind of different areas I am, but mostly on the Internet. <laughs> <laughs> awesome fantastic thank you so much for your time mike i appreciate it no thank you for having me on i really appreciate it i'm humbled humbled to have been on thank you so much thank you for listening to the unspoken truths of digital leadership i hope you found this interview insightful and useful please remember to subscribe and review the podcast and if you have found it useful please feel free to send it and share it to your network as I will be very appreciative that it will spread and help out more people in the world. If you would like more information or the show notes and resources that I will be providing you, then please go to www.johnopoon.com, go to the blog and find the podcast section. Step up, show up and stay up. Take care.